decide, first of all, if you really want to be an entrepreneur, because it's more than just talking about it. Talk's cheap. Everybody can say, oh, I want 10000 a month. I want 20000 a month. I want 30000 a month. And what I found over the years is when I'll say, okay, so what does it take to make, say, I don't know, 1000 a month in your business? And people will go, oh, persistence. Oh, I need to talk to people. Oh, you know, these these ideas that they've heard. But th- that really won't make you $1,000 a month. Talking to people doesn't make you money. It's only when those people order. And if the orders are connected to your ID, that's when money is actually made. So an entrepreneur, in order to make things work, has to learn how to produce orders. Today's guest is Kim Claver. Kim built four network marketing companies to the top over the last 24 years, author of If My Product's So Great, How Come I Can't Sell, <laughs> and several audio and video programs, including 100 Customers, 100 Days, and How to Recruit by Phone. Kim attended MIT Stanford and has a MAT, Master's of Art and Teaching from Harvard. Her mission is to help women who got into network marketing who thought it would just be like recommending a restaurant to master the sales and marketing skills required to earn more than a few hundred dollars a month. Welcome to the show, Kim. How are you doing today? I'm awesome. Delighted to be here. Thanks very much. Very honored. Delighted to have you here. Something that always stands out about you when I get to see you speak on stage and run into you at events is your profound and witty sense of humor. So I'm looking forward to hearing that uh, today. Cool. <laughs> so Alrighty. what's an interestingly weird fact about yourself, Kim? An interestingly weird fact. Well, I think the one that probably nobody in the world knows is that one week after I turned 14, I was abandoned by my parents. And I think that that particular experience, I became a ward of the state until I was ready to go to college, probably has helped me more than anything become somebody who decided to be independent of anybody ever. Uh, for anything that required a home, financial security, anything like that, because the only people that I had known that I, I thought I could trust for that were my parents. And for what, you know, they had issues of their own and all's fine, you know, these days. But I, I think that probably made me somebody who decided I would never, ever be dependent on anybody for either house or home or income or anything else like that, you know, because I knew I couldn't trust and I think that's probably one of the things that has made me somebody that has had like three jobs for three weeks in my entire life. Wow. Even though I went to Harvard, where you go in order to be able to be connected properly, any place in the world you want to work. So I think that's probably pretty, I don't know how weird that is, but I don't think people know that. And a lot of people ask me, how do you stay so motivated? How are you so ambitious? Why do you keep doing this stuff? And I think that's probably one of the roots of it that I, was set out early and my take on it was, okay, so I'm going to have to figure it out for myself, which is what I've done a lot of my life. So Powerful. that's probably a, a surprising answer for you, huh, Justin? Had no idea. So please tell me more about that. So you turned 14 years old. Were your parents going through like domestic issues? and Yeah, domestic issues, issues with alcohol, one of them, and issues with each other. And they had, you know, come from a fairly well-to-do background themselves. My dad was a, an owner, part owner of a giant leather company in the Netherlands where we came from. And I think they had some issue with the brothers who were involved and he somehow got cut out of his very substantial share 
And so my mom got upset about that because she, you know, was a concert pianist and she couldn't live the way she used to with help in the house. I mean, we never did anything ourselves. I and mean, we had somebody who cooked and somebody who made the beds and somebody who took us to school. And a lot of that changed for them because of his situation. And I think the stress was just too much. And I was a pretty wild kid. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say bad, but I was not, <laughs> I wanted to do my own thing. You know, I had my own Christmas card route when I was eight years old. Wow. I had a paper route when I was nine. I organized my brother and all the other kids with the paper routes. So even before they turned me out and said, you know, we can't deal with this kid. And the judge said, you know, you're probably better off <laughs> if you <laughs> go someplace else. And the judge said that to me. And here's this guy, you know, I was like, had just turned 14 and he had this big black robe and he looked at me and he said, you know, I think you will be better off if you, you know, go to this place where they have runaway kids and kids who don't have homes and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, if he thinks I could do it, <laughs> probably, you know, maybe it would be okay. Right. So it was kind of in a, a situation where I didn't understand the significance of what was happening, but somebody in a big black robe said, I think you can do this. And I thought, you know, I'll bet I probably can. And so that's kind of the attitude. It helped to have an adult there who said, you can do this. And I didn't know enough to know that it was socially unacceptable not to be living at home. Hmm. So that was a good thing. I mean, I think sometimes ignorance is bliss, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because you don't have any, you know, there's nothing to go with it. So because of that, I mean, I learned how to play pool. I never paid for any of my tuition at any of my schools because I either had scholarship, real estate money, or I shot pool and made money with it. So I was always, I guess you'd say one of those kind of crazy people who thought that there would be ways to do it where I wouldn't have to get a job. I guess I just didn't like the idea of jobs or anything that was structured because the only structured thing I'd ever known disappeared without me having any readiness for it. And so I think in a, in a way, sometimes people have bumps in their lives and they really help them become a stronger person. And for somebody else, that same thing can turn them into some kind of a criminal and they can't make any contribution at all. So all perception, right? Yeah, it is perception. And I don't know if that is something that comes with a person or if that's something you can develop. You certainly can work on it. I mean, in all the teaching that I've done in the network marketing business, I mean, one of the biggest things that I found is folks who believe what they heard that, oh, it's easy. Anyone can do it. I'll just like recommending a restaurant. And then they find out that it's really not quite like recommending a restaurant that you really have to, once you get past your warm market, you know, you have to find some way to build a list of people, as we know, right. and whether it's offline or online. And you, one of the things I've learned is being kind of rebellious, I guess that's the word, is to dig your own well. I mean, for folks who are thinking, well, I don't have anybody to talk to. That's such a common thing. Don't know who to talk to. I don't have anybody on my list. Nobody's any good. Well, one of the things when I first started doing network marketing, which was really on kind of a fluke, is I learned to dig my own well because I didn't know what else to do. So I did. So we would do little talks. This was like in the late 1990s. We would give talks about if you don't get your five fruits and veggies every day and you know you should, uh, here are some alternatives. And I'd give a talk at the community center or the bookstores or whatever. And this was like, what, 20 years ago. And we would have a sign-up sheet. And those people would become part of our list. We didn't have email then. because before you were born, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have any of that stuff. But we, got, we knew enough to get a list of names and phone numbers. 
So we were digging our own well a long time ago because I didn't know what else to do. You do run out of your so-called warm market. So learning how to be somebody who generates your own interest, your own momentum, your own list, your own well, instead of generating leads, we really learned how to generate demand, you know, for what we had. And so, because that's the only thing that seemed to work. So we do that now online and offline. And it's just a, a way of looking at stuff where you do what the greats do. And then as soon as you realize, okay, this is about as far as it's going to get, you think about what you can do yourself to make yourself independent of anybody else. I and love that. Justin, I mean, you've learned how to do that. I mean, you have to be independent so you can live the way you want. Otherwise, you're always kissing up. <laughs> so true. That's what entrepreneurship is really all about. Now, you have quite an amazing education. Kids wish they could say they had. You've studied at MIT, Stanford, as well as Harvard. Now, with the level of education that you have... You know, you mentioned only having jobs for like a few weeks of your entire life because you've always had this hustling spirit, even from back when you were helping to pay your school by hustling in the pool halls or, you know, playing pool or getting scholarships, working really hard. What led to network marketing? When did you decide this is a viable vehicle I'm going to pursue and become really great at? Oh, fun. One day I was in a Taekwondo class and, and there was, a, I had a professor friend and he brought this little water filter and it was, um, <laughs> you know, my first company was NSA and I happened to be a health nut. I've been a health nut for years. It's part of the independence, got to stay healthy mentally, bodily, you know, all that. And so he had this little water filter and I had my friend with me. I said, Hey, check it out. I hired kids to go shopping for me to buy oh, gallons of water to bring them up to my apartment in San Francisco because I lived at the top floor. I really liked the, the, the light up there. The building didn't have an elevator because it was a darling building. <laughs> they didn't know enough to have an elevator. Plus I liked it. We could run up four flights every single day, every, you know, up and down and it was good for exercise. So they would bring these gallons, six packs of what in the old days were called arrowhead water and all these different waters that they had at the grocery store. And so here was this little filter, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. So I told the guy, you know, I'd like to sell these. I didn't even know you could sell them. I just told him, I, I, I have a real estate business. <laughs> I think I could get some people who want to buy this stuff, and <laughs> I want it myself. So why don't you tell me what I need to do? And the next week, he, he didn't do anything. I said, well, how do you sell this stuff? And he said, well, you get this business in a box. And so whatever, send it to me, get it to me. And so five weeks later, he, he still hadn't had it. I said, okay, give me the name of the company. Let me just call. I'll do it myself. You know, I don't, you don't need to help me. And so then he sends, oh, you really want to do this? Yeah, yeah. So I get this business, this blue box from NSA in these days. And I got the water filters and I saw the little kit and all this stuff. And, you know, I figured, I just wanted to know, what do you make when you sell one of these? And so what happened is I was a water crazy person, clean water. And when I was on the phone with my real estate people, whether they were tenants, whether they were, you know, the title companies, whoever, the other brokers, I would end my conversations with, hey, you know, I got this little water thing. Do you drink the caca out of the faucet or do you, <laughs> do you have, you pay a buck a gallon? Because that's what everybody did. And they would tell me, I drink the caca. I said, really, you can get it for a buck a gallon. You want to try it? See if it's any good. <laughs> try it. See what happens, right? And the ones who had a buck a gallon, a lot of them decided they'd like to try it for a nickel a gallon. That was that was the, 
the, the spread. You know, you, you buy a gizmo and it filters everything and it's five cents a gallon right. instead of a buck a gallon. So at the end of like, I don't know, 90 days, I think I'd made 40 or $50,000 and sold like 70 or $80,000 worth of the, just the product. I didn't know you should sponsor anybody because I mean, I didn't know anything about sponsoring anybody. <laughs> so I hired college kids to go out with pickup trucks on the weekends to deliver all these filters that I had, <laughs> that I had kind of sold as a, on a puppy dog kind of approach during the week. And the company called and said, well, you sold more of these than anybody ever in our history in the shortest time. So why don't you come on stage and tell people how you, <laughs> how you <laughs> sold <this> stuff? <laughs> it was really funny. The guy I went, it was 1994, 95, and I went and they had, I don't know, like 5,000 people or something. It wasn't a really big gig, but pretty big. And the guy who MCs me on stage says, and here's this lady, Kim Claver, and I want you to know she sold more of these than anybody else. She made like $34,000, $38,000 just selling the water filters. She actually did it, ladies and gentlemen, selling the product. <laughs> I thought, well, what else would you do? See, not being somebody in networking. What else do you do? You sell stuff. You make money and you sell stuff. You know, if you sell a lot of stuff, you make a lot of money. And if you sell big ticket stuff, you make more money than when you sell little ticket stuff. I mean, I just, and then the guy at the top of the company, um, Jeff Roberti, he's still the number one earner there. He took me aside after he said, Kim, let me tell you something. He said, you're really, you're really good. But what you need to do here is sponsor people. And I said, you do? What, what is that? He said, well, you know, <laughs> You find somebody like you. <laughs> and I thought, well, that'd be pretty cool. You know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'd like to have somebody like me. That'd be hot. And so the next month or two, I think I sponsored like 60 or 70 people. And in 90 days, I had like 200 people sponsored, most of whom came in at that $5,000 level, you know, with, with the water filters, because everybody, that's what they wanted to do. So you get the highest commission. So were and you I, sponsoring them through home meetings or? Um, yeah, call them. Yeah. What I did was, first of all, through my real estate contacts, I would say, you know, we're looking for a couple of people to help distribute this stuff here. So if you're into water. And you like doing what I'm doing, say these things at the end of your phone call conversation. We're having a little event uh, and we would have it started at people's homes, like my own place. Uh, and then when we had a few people signed up who said, yeah, I'd like to do that. I'm into the clean water. I could sell it for five cents a gallon. We would have small meetings at people's homes. And pretty soon, of course, they got bigger and bigger. And then we moved to the uh, Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. And we were there for probably two years and had, you know, the meetings got so big, they were bigger for what we did than when the president of the company came. <laughs> we had more people just because we're really, we do a lot of music at our meetings. We had, I don't like playing Jane meetings. So we really um, had a wonderful time. A lot of stuff where people, we had potlucks. And Made it fun. Drinks. We did. We had a wonderful time. And they were all people who were interested in their health, interested in their energy and interested in clean water. So we really set it up so that the people who came were those who were already hot on clean water and wanted a better deal for it and people who wanted to become more health conscious. So it was an extension of who I was. But yeah, we we did the warm market first and then with a little bit with their warm market. And soon enough, we went, we ran out of uh, people. And one of the big things we learned, I, I learned how to do is dig my own well right then and there because I figured, where are these people going to come from? You know, because got to fill up these rooms and there have to be more people, right, who want this clean water. And so what I did is I found other network marketers 
and we bought lists at that time and we sent out postcards to people and they were all to people that had experience in MLM before. This was again, you know, the early 2000s. And we sent out hundreds of thousands of cards and, you know, you're not going to believe this, but well, you probably will. But the pitch on the card was, see, in those days, people were concerned about friends and family kind of dumping on them and telling them they're not good people and people get really nervous about what their family thinks of them. <laughs> Since I found out really early what my family thought, <laughs> I didn't worry about that anymore. It's like piece of cake. <laughs> we can get past that. So I put on the postcard, puke proof marketing, how to build a giant organization with or without your friends, family, or neighbors. Mm. That was the pitch. And the printer said, Kim, you can't send this because you know, it won't even make it through the mail. <laughs> this was in like 2000 or so. But I decided I'm going to leave it there, the puke-proof marketing, because it spoke to the MLMers that I was trying to reach that this is a way of doing marketing, namely cold market news leads and ads, running newspaper ads, which I got really, really good at, to do this without somebody dumping on you. Because if you do it in this way, the only response you get are people who do have an interest. See, <laughs> So you don't, deal, you don't hear from the people who don't have an interest. Nobody takes the time to call you and say, oh, you bad person. <laughs> you, you know, like your friends and family like to do. So we built in five or six states at once doing that because I would target like L.A. or we target Orlando, Florida. We picked the areas in the country. And where- I can see why it works so well, because you were very clear on who you were going after, which are the MLMers with these frustrations. And then you're showing them a way to solve those problems. Like, I'd be all ears if you told me when I got started in network marketing, Kim, you don't have to pitch your friends or family. <laughs> Let me show you how to build a little. I'd be like, yes, show me the <laughs> way. Really? You know, living well is the best revenge. Let them have you. Know, oh, how, how'd you, uh, you moved out of, the, uh, out of your car, you know, into an apartment or whatever. And so, yeah, so that's really what we learned to do. And I, I think, for, you know, digging your own well is probably one of the most important things that any business can do because you need to figure out how to get prospects to you, people who already have an interest. You didn't like drum it up. They already had some kind of interest and all you did really is wake it up. Those are the ideal types of people to have in a business because they were already there. You just needed to wake it up. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so in your career, you've only been with four network marketing companies in 24 years. Now, I'd say the average in the industry for like, you know, an MLMer would probably be like 20 different companies in 24 years, maybe even more. So what's your secret to selecting the right network marketing company? Well, the first one I fell into because they had a product. I I think all of them, I've done more. I've built to the top of actually five. I, I know I said four, but there's actually five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a couple of others. Like I did prepaid phone cards, but they died. That is, they went belly up before I could even get to the top. <laughs> so so that was I was mad about that because I like to be at the top of the heap, you know, at least be always in the top five earners. But what I did for every company is that I did and really worked. I chose something where I liked what they were marketing. So in the case of the water, I was already a health nut. In the case of fruits and veggies and capsules, I already was a fruit and vegetable person. I, to this day, eat in a way that keeps me in better shape than most people that are half my age. When I did a card sending service, I was interested. I'm sort of artsy-fartsy to some extent. 
And so I really enjoyed the idea of automating some of this and making really cool cards. Uh, when I marketed a program that taught people how to do internet marketing, for me, it was the perfect match because my clientele of network marketers, especially women, some of them want to know how to go online. How do you write an email? How do you, what is an autoresponder? Anyway, it sounds to me like it's horrible. An autoresponder, I personally for years was against an autoresponder because in my ignorance, <laughs> I thought you didn't, I didn't know that you could actually modify the emails. <laughs> and I thought, I don't want anything coming from me that looks like what I know came from an autoresponder because the people couldn't write and they all were exactly the same. <laughs> so the, that company, How to Market Online, that particular company, which, you know, we're familiar with, was one that taught me how to use like a Weber and that I could actually modify the emails, the, the words that, that came and went. I mean, so I thought all of the women and men who would like to leverage themselves ought to know how to do this. So you see, I would have wanted to use those programs whether I was making money or not, because I thought it was important for my generation to come into the new world and like get with the program and learn how to market online as well as, you know, your regular network of live people. Right. So this is back in 2011. Are we talking about where yeah, you first set up an autoresponder for the first time? I, I, I'm impressed because you started your internet marketing journey ahead of the curb before everyone else. And then you started, you didn't actually start utilizing the autoresponder till about four years ago. And I, I'm curious, how has that helped you in your business? What does that do for you when it comes to list building and, uh, you know, generating targeted prospects nowadays? Oh my God, Justin, you have <laughs> no idea. I mean, I went kicking and screaming into it because I, I hated Aweber. I hated, now I have Infusionsoft and now I've become quite the you know, nice. sort of a master at it, I guess, you know, I'm now Jedi, semi-Jedi quality. <laughs> but what, what's happened is when you know that you can set up processes that you don't have, you set them up. It's kind of like using an autoresponder, which allows you to have a place to get your leads together, the right ones, of course, if you go after the right ones, instead of all the wrong ones, by offering something for nothing, you get all the people who don't do anything. And that's because you ask for people, you know, like that. But if you learn how to dig a well so that you're in the right place and get the right people, what I have learned, one of the biggest things is that I don't have to do everything. It's kind of like building a bridge. If you sit down and, and decide, I'm going to build a bridge across this river and it's an important thing because people want to cross, you may be out for six months or 12 months, money, effort, time, massive focus with no income to speak of, but you're building this bridge. And when it's done, you are going to be there and collect the tolls. And you're going to be the only one collecting tolls for everybody who goes across that bridge. And that is really what these autoresponders allow you to do. You, you create a series of emails full of tips for people. And for me, I do a little thing, P.S., if you'd like to know a little bit more, check this out. And it'll be a link to one of my products that I have because I make products that show people how to dig their well on Facebook, wherever they want to dig it, because I, I really like that. And how to generate demand, not just generate leads, generate demand first. Then you get the leads around that demand. So then you get the right people in there. So what I've learned is that these the processes can work. So I get orders every day without have that that I did the work for like six months ago. 
And so I'm continuing to have sequences, email sequences with tips, with little PSs. You know, here's, you know, if you want to know a little bit more, get this, get that. The same thing on Facebook, where I have two ads running that get me, I don't know, it's nothing like you, you know, I'm just getting started here. I finally have two ads that actually work. That means I earn enough on the sales that the ads generate because I have a little $27 product. Enough people buy that to cover my daily Facebook ad costs, which I just learned how to do really (laughs) just recently. Congratulations. That basically means you get to build a free list and scale up. That's right. Because that's right. So the 1500, I get like 1500 leads, all of them targeted because the only time they can opt in is after they've listened to an audio where I explain some things because I don't want just anybody opting into my list. Nice. It's just, you know, it feels wasteful. So you know, for anybody who was looking at Infusionsoft, Aweber, any one of these services, if you see it like building a bridge and you build your series of emails with your helpful tips for somebody and you've got your little product with just a PS so you're not screaming about it, you will make sales day and night. But you have to be willing to set it up. And if you know to set it up, you will set it up. Because, of course, who would not set it up? <laughs> it's just people don't know. So, yeah. And I have to really, I can thank the internet network marketing company that taught us all how to do online marketing for learning to appreciate that leverage because I just never thought about it. I'm doing that. (laughs) Ain't it crazy? And I I know you're an avid blogger. Can you stress upon the importance of having a blog uh, based on your experience and how you're utilizing blogging to get your brand out there and deliver content? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Well, one of the best things I've, I do for blogging, I'm sort of a writer person. I've had a newsletter for 20 years. I used to have just email newsletter. And then, of course, I graduated to a blog. I think one of the best things about blogs, if you enjoy writing, which I do because I enjoy reading. So then what I do is I learn something, I do something, and I teach something. That's kind of my, my, my mantra for my life. And I take classes from everybody. And then what I do is as soon as I learn something, I do it and then I teach it. And that gives me an ever non-ending flow of content for, for what I write. But what I've done on my blog, say for Facebook, I'll run an ad, for example, for um, the five worst things to say to a good prospect. I, that's one of my ads. And people, and I target specific, whatever the groups are, obviously, including the network marketing types. And so I will get... I mean, I'm paying a nickel a lead. The relevance is like 10 on that thing. And it's like 14 to 15% click through, which is really sweet. And they all go to my blog page where that particular article is. And so that's a way of drawing people that have an interest in something very specific to network marketing, namely what are the five worst things you say to a good prospect. That's something I've taught for 20 years and I've had articles about it for 20 years. And so I decided to make it a Facebook ad. So in that way, the people come to my blog and they see it, they read that post and they can sign up or not. But that's one way that I use blogging. I I love it because you're delivering free content and then those who are qualified to actually read your material, uh, they're going to be the ones who opt in. So are you then basically getting them from the Facebook ad to the blog post, then opt in? Or is it Facebook ad opt in to see the blog post, but you mentioned having something they had to listen to first before they even get the opportunity to opt in? I'm just curious your process. I've done it both ways and I have ads running both ways. So I have one where I'll give some stuff. I'll have an opt-in page and I'll say, okay, so here's what you're going to get. 
and here's a sample. So there's a little bit of a, of a mm-hmm. teaser content on the opt-in page. And then I get them to opt-in. Uh, the other thing I've done is take them right to the blog and just have a PS for a, a product purchase at the end of the blog. And there's also a sign up on the blog post itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I've done that has worked really well is, um, and I'm sure you're probably doing this, but people will go to a page that has a lot of content. And then after about, mm, I don't know, five or 10 seconds, I've got a set up where a little form pops up that says, if you'd like to you know, be on the list to get this kind of information, sign up here. So they get to read first because I think, you know, I would personally prefer to read something before I opt in unless the the headline is really, really cool. Like, you know, (laughs) say they said, is this harmful ingredient in your high end skincare cream? Well, I probably look at that and see, you know, if I because I happen to care about skin, I happen to care about high end skin stuff (laughs) because that's what I use. And so I'd want to know, is this harmful ingredient in my skincare? So I would probably sign up for that list just to get that list of harmful ingredients in high-end skincare. But I try to qualify as much as I can the person before they sign up. So I don't, I like my open rate to be right at 20%, 25%. And so I'd rather personally have a smaller list with a higher percent of open rate mm. than have a big list and then 3% open, you know, like that. So I've tried all those uh, ways and... I'm not sure which one works best, but I have a high open rate and very few unsubscribes. So that's, it feels to me like that's kind of the way I'd like to do it. But I've tried those, especially the one where the page appears for a while, maybe 15 seconds, and then there's an opt-in because they'll have gotten some gratification satisfaction, if you will. And then after that, I ask them to opt in if they want to. Mm-hmm. And I have a 40-minute a audio I did. I did a conference call for a company, I don't know, a couple of months ago on how to talk to people. You know, they'll say, well, the product's too expensive. Well, what do you say? You know, and somebody says that. And people who are doing a lot of the um, one-on-one type marketing. And that call kind of went viral through that company. So I made it a video. I mean, I put slides to it, and it's one of my ads that I'm running. And people listen to, if you can believe this, 40 minutes of it. And they pass it on to everybody else. So in this way, when you're fortunate and you actually have something people like, I get countless shares of this really ad. (laughs) (laughs) And so it really pays to think about what you can offer somebody. And if you don't know how to do anything, well, learn how to do something. You learn something, you do something, you teach something. I mean, how many things are you teaching now, Justin, that you learned last month? or two months ago, or six months ago, that we didn't even know existed a year ago, (laughs) right? Right. Yeah, I feel you. So So I'm just saying all these processes, and the key is to have the processes working so that I can think about what interesting thing I want to do next, and the (laughs) tools I've got, there's a little money coming in every day from the bridge that I already built last month or two months ago, you know, like that. That's the way to do it. Kim, what's your best entrepreneurial advice you'd like to offer our weird entrepreneurs listening to you right now from literally over 230 countries around the world? The best entrepreneurial advice, I would say that decide, first of all, if you really want to be an entrepreneur, because it's more than just talking about it. Talk's cheap. Everybody can say, oh, I want 10000 a month. I want 20000 a month. I want 30000 a month. And what I found over the years is when I'll say, okay, so what does it take to make, say, I don't know, 1000 a month in your business? And people will go, oh, persistence. Oh, I need to talk to people. Oh, you know, these, these 
ideas that they've heard. But th- that really won't make you $1,000 a month. Talking to people doesn't make you money. It's only when those people order. And if the orders are connected to your ID, that's when money is actually made. So an entrepreneur, in order to make things work, has to learn how to produce orders from people in whatever ways they do it. And you don't need to be salesy to do it, but your money comes from orders that you're able to generate from other people, however you do that. So you have to learn to overcome those obstacles, which many of us have done, but those are obstacles. You know, how do you get somebody to order your product? And it's your sister-in-law who's saying, oh, so that's why you're all gushing about it. You <laughs> buy it, you know? So you have to, you know, you have to understand that the obstacles in being an entrepreneur are overcomable, but they're different than having a job where the obstacle there is to show up on time uh, and do your work so that you don't get fired. So I would say decide first if you want to overcome the obstacles that need to be overcome to live the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Love it. To to decide that first. Don't you think, Justin? I mean, because in the end, if you want 10,000 a month, you have to do certain things to get it. I mean, certainly in America, this is not the education we receive. I didn't get it at Harvard. I didn't get it at MIT. I didn't get it at Stanford. I didn't get it anywhere. And so that's probably the most, the biggest decision. Do you want to overcome the obstacles that are around the idea of becoming an entrepreneur? And if you do, then find the entrepreneurs who are where you want to be and learn from them what they've done. Read, do videos, you know, listen to, to, to the folks, sit in the front seat. That's what I did. My gosh. Mm-hmm. In, in all the companies I was, I was always in the front row, listening to every single person, take the crazy notes, try it, test it, see what works. The second thing is that I would recommend is if you want to be an entrepreneur, see everything you do as an experiment. It's not, is it going to, it's, it's, it's probabilistic. It's not deterministic as Elon Musk would say. It's not, if you talk to somebody, this is going to happen. You don't know. We don't know for sure about marketing. Marketing is, is an experiment. You try something and then you try it again and you try it again and you try it again. So if you can learn to see what you do as experimentation rather than, oh, I talked to three people and and they all said no or whatever. The answer should be, well, maybe I should talk to different people. Maybe I should say different things. And if that's not your mindset, you're going to fall on the sword and hate yourself. (laughs) So (laughs) so don't don't do that then, you know. So those are the two things. Decide if you want to become the overcome those obstacles that are associated with becoming an entrepreneur. See everything as experimentation. I, I guess, you know, just know that the process might be a few years and that if you understand that it might be a few years and you're reading and learning what people are doing who are ahead of you. And if you see that those are the kinds of things you want to master, then do those things. And for some people, really, Justin, people at Apple, there are tens of thousands of employees. My my nephew works at Apple. He's a senior manager over there, some kind of hotshot. And he loves it. He would no more be an entrepreneur than a man on the moon. He just absolutely loves his gig over there. So many jobs are very fulfilling for people. And so if you have one of those jobs and you totally love it, you can see yourself growing. It it makes you who you want to be. I don't feel bad. There's a room in this world for everyone who makes something of what they've got. And so, you know, there's no judgment. Just do something where you can be that person and become the person that you really want to be. So yeah. that would, those would be my pieces of advice. Million dollar advice. I love every bit of it, Kim. And who's your favorite superhero and why? 
my favorite superhero, oh my, I guess it has to be Steve Jobs. I have loved him since the day I came to California, which was before he was actually born. <laughs> well, not, <laughs> not quite that old. I think he's probably the one and maybe he's probably the one. I think setting standards really high, thinking about do your thing, you know, don't let other people plan your dreams. Don't let other people tell you how to live your life. And he came from nothing. You know, he had absolutely nothing. He was like, I mean, he's talk about hippie. That's what he did. <laughs> he, when he came back from India, he didn't even tell his parents that he was coming back. He just was at the airport and he says, oh, hey, I'm back. Would you come pick me up? <laughs> it's like just completely oblivious to anybody else. But he set standards that nobody had. And now we're all living by every package that comes in the mail. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but Amazon has really amped up how their packages appear. Everybody has better packaging than they had before. Everybody's trying to make their stuff look good. So he raised the bar for humanity in many ways. And I think he would probably be my superhero is Steve Jobs. Yeah. No doubt about it. Definitely one of my favorite superheroes. So I love your perspective. And what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you, Kim? Probably, I have a blog, Kim's blog, K-I-M-S-B-L-O-G.com. What a great URL, by the way. I like that. Kim's blog. Yeah, yeah. So just come there. You can read stuff. And there's a little box on the right-hand side. You can sign up for my list if you want. But read the stuff first, and if it resonates, then you sign up for it. And if not, no problem. Just check it out and see if, if, you, if we connect. That's probably the best thing to do. And um, I have another one. It's called Rule FB, as in rulefacebook.com. And so if people want to see what, how I do the Facebook advertising, I do something called the Reese's Pieces. Justin, did you ever see the movie E.T.? Of course. <laughs> you know the Reese's Pieces? You know how they use that there? Mm-hmm. How the little kid lures out E.T. from the garage with little Reese's Pieces. <laughs> and I show people how I do my Facebook work with that. And so somebody, if they, somebody wanted to see what that is, it would be rule, R-U-L-E, and then F-B, like Facebook.com, speaking of URLs. So if somebody wants to see that, you could see that. And if you don't, just come to Kim's blog. And, you know, I'm delighted, really, to have had a chance to talk about this. I haven't told most of this stuff to anybody, so... <laughs> It'll be fun for me to hear what I said. Love you, Kim. Appreciate your energy. And I highly recommend everyone go check out her blog, kimsblog.com. And check out her Facebook technique, rulefb.com. Thanks once again, Kim. Hey, it's a pleasure. Wonderful. Wonderful to that you had me, Justin. Thanks. <laughs> 